Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, net neutrality in the FCC. So Richard, uh, coming out of the midterms, we are seeing President Obama trying to pivot to a new set of issues, go back on the offensive. And one of the ways that he's doing this is by pushing for the FCC to implement net neutrality rules. So let's let's just start here. For listeners who may be unfamiliar with this topic, which has been somewhat sort of nebulous for the broader public, explain exactly what it is the president wants to do here. What do we mean when we say net neutrality? Well, the way in which the proponents of the system put it is it's designed to create a level playing field. And what it means more particularly is that anybody who wants to send a packet of information over some of the networks that are created by the various telecommunications companies like Verizon or AT&T has to more or less get the same terms with the same prices. Uh, so as the president put it, if you're a high school blogger and you want to get onto the internet, you should do so on the same terms as an advertiser whose only desire is to maximize maximize profit by selling as many goods as is possible. And so it's essentially the democratization of service and the more explicit situations are that you cannot prioritize some packets of information over others and receive a higher price for it. There's a, another set of issues about whether or not you could block certain people from coming on. That is, if you have a special arrangement with one content provider, can that provide that you will not be able to carry the content of somebody else? And that's actually a much closer case as to how you want to think about about it. Uh, but again, it's the same problem. If you think that you want to do this, what you're saying in effect is you want to treat, notwithstanding the competitive nature of this business, you want to treat all ISPs, internet service providers, as though they're public utilities, which would be subject to extensive regulations under the various provisions of uh, Title II um, of the uh, uh, FCC acts dealing with telecommunications. You would call them now telecommunications services, which are heavily regulated, instead of information services, which are regulated with a much lighter touch. Now, I want to make one thing explicit here, Richard, because if you listen to President Obama speak on the topic, it can be very easy to get confused on this point. The president makes it sound sometimes as if it's a preservationist movement, as if he is trying to maintain the standards that made the internet so great in the first place. But that's not an accurate depiction of the situation, is it? No, it's really complicated. What happens is when you start with something like the internet, um, pricing is generally not often done. It's kind of hard to monetize and to do this stuff. And then what happens as the demands for peak load service become very great, companies want to introduce this. And the current information services regulations generally gives them a lot of flexibility. Uh, so what happens is what he wants to do most accurately is to stop companies from making innovations with respect to their pricing and structuring decisions and by putting them into this common carrier regulation mode rather than the current service mode. Um, and to this extent, if it would just keep in the same old system, he would not have to call for a massive reorientation of the operations here by which the greater regulation would be possible. Now, the FCC actually sought to regulate them extensively under the information services rubric, but they were turned back in a case involving Verizon. And Judge Tatel, who's essentially a Clinton-type Democrat, said, look, I mean, this looks to me a lot like common carrier regulation, and if they're not recharacterized as common carrier, you have to get them in the right pigeonhole. And this leaves open some very complicated questions 
as to whether or not the FCC can simply change the label or whether there's going to be somebody who can say, no, there's an independent set of definitions out there. And unless you get statutory authorization, you're not going to be in a position to change the characterizations. My view inclines towards the latter issue, which means that the president's pushing very hard. And he thinks you can do it by simply FCC regulations. And one of the really troublesome institutional arrangements is Tom Wheeler, a Democrat, um, you know, has his own views on the subject, which are somewhat at variance with the president's. And the president basically calls him him. So a lot of people like myself are kind of concerned about the fact that if you have an independent agency, you don't like the president lobbying somebody in private. And in fact, this could easily backfire because to the extent that these regulations are imposed by the FCC, say by a three to two vote, I think the pressure of the president becomes an issue as to whether or not you have fairly complied with proceedings on notice and hearing if the president gets this ad hoc situation and comes out publicly and kinds of tries to shame or bully, I don't know exactly what the right word is, uh, the FCC to do this stuff. I mean, as we know, he takes a very expansive view of executive power. And I think to the extent that we believe in independent agencies, we don't think that this is the way the president ought to behave. So let's simplify some of the kind of complicated legalese here for the listeners. The president – you mentioned he wants internet service providers, the companies that provide access to the web, regulated as common carriers. That's that's under Title II of the Communications Act of 1934. You mentioned that phrase a couple times. For our audience, explain what a common carrier is and what the sort of distinct set of legal considerations they have are. Yes. Well, common carrier is a very old term and there were many of them like railroads and so forth and a common carrier means it's somebody that has to take everybody. So the service is common to all people and they're carriers. They take people from one place to another. Maybe inns were common carriers at one time and they also typically had a monopoly, sometimes by regulation, most often perhaps and occasionally because of their situational advantages. And the rules on common carriers said that the rates that you charge must be reasonable and non-discriminatory. Uh, and this is an effort to stop two things from happening. The reasonable is saying we don't want you to get monopoly rents even though you have a monopoly position. So this allows us to push down the entire rate scale so it looks to be competitive. And non-discriminatory is we don't want to be a, allow you to play favorites uh, to price discriminate so your friends get a better deal than somebody who's not your friend who's similarly situated. It gets really naughty because oftentimes when you provide these services, the cost of services are different for different kinds of people and generally reasonable and non-discriminatory allows you to take into account these particular cost differences. And the basic theme that one wants to use in this area is you do not want the government while it imposes both the cap restrictions on the reasonableness and the anti-discrimination norms under the second half of this thing to make the firm behave as though it were not in a competitive market. The point here is you always want these firms to behave as much as they are like competitive markets of course, the gold standard in this business is competition. The gold standard in this business is not extensive government regulation for its own sake. When you mentioned some of the issues at work with net neutrality, you said that the one that was not as close was this prohibition that the policy would impose on prioritizing certain mm -hmm. kinds of, of content over it. Just explain the dynamic there and why that's a bad idea. Well, I mean, first of all, even the president believes it's a bad idea to some extent. What he notes, for example, is that if you're running a hospital, um, we want to have you very fast internet service. Of course, in a market, the hospital needing it could just buy it and they wouldn't need to have this ad hoc separation by statute. But there are other people like financial traders for whom a second is an eternity in many of the deals that they're doing, and they would like to have enormously fast services. 
And then you could find all sorts of other people um, who have similar kinds of needs in their own business, placing orders or whatever it is and getting information out. Uh, what he's going to do is to tell us who gets priorities under a presumption where they don't exist and who doesn't. Now, if you look, for example, at the post office or at Federal Express, the post office has something known as priority mail. Uh, you can get same day or next day service with respect to Federal Express. Virtually every company that operates as a, a carrier, as these companies surely are, prioritizes because it allows them not only to maximize profit, but at the it also allows them to expand their reach. If you can raise prices on the people at the top and not drive them away, that means you could lower prices at the bottom and bring people into the market who would not be able to pay a fixed tariff. And so that gives you a larger operation business. And if you then start to look at the way in which many businesses that aren't common carriers work, like hotels and airlines and restaurants increasingly, what you see is they recalibrate their prices multiple times in the course of a given day. My wife, when she goes and makes even on Amtrak, my train reservations, she's much better than I am. She says, if I wait a half an hour, it could go up and down $30. And so what's happening is everybody wants to sort of create priorities, tiers, adjust to latest information and so forth. And what the president wants to do is to say, one size fits all. And no competitive market would ever do that. And the president should not want to do that either. It shows his general lack of sophistication without how regulated industries work and how comp competitive industries work. And if you don't understand either, you're never going to be able to figure out how you could make regulation look more responsive to the demands of a competitive system. What about the fear that dominates a lot of seemingly the, the a lot of the popular conversation about this topic? There's always this specter that without net neutrality, you're going to be in a situation where certain internet service providers can restrict access to certain sites, keep their users from accessing certain information that they don't want them to. Is that is that an overblown anxiety? Well, look, it's, first of all, even under the lightly regulated rules, you might be able to have some blocks against non-justified closures. So it's the issues in play. But you have to put this in a somewhat broader perspective. Well, one is all these guys are not having monopoly positions. Um, when you go back to telecom back in 1996, everybody thought that the local exchange carriers are the Bell Atlantics of this world and so forth, had a last mile advantage that made them into a monopolist. And they organized the 96 Telecommunications Act around that insight. By the year 2000, at the absolute latest, everybody realized that this was completely wrong and that the whole industry then reconfigured itself because the local exchange carriers were going to be savaged by the cell phone, by voiceover, BOIP over the internet stuff and you could send it through television wires or whatever it is. And as the modalities for competition increase, the ability for you to pay play the exclusionary game is going to be reduced. And you have to deal with incredible levels of consumer resistance. You know, somebody wants to buy one service and it turns out that you're willing to carry HBO and you're not willing to carry Showtime, these people are going to scream and they're going to go elsewhere to somebody who does both. So I think in effect that there are just too many counter strategies for me to think of this as a serious threat. And as I said in this Hoover column, what you do is you don't regulate now. Uh, you keep this in the collar you know, in the closet in case it turns out you may need it. And then if something turns out that's a little bit misguided, you can impose some system of regulation light-handed at the latest stage. But you don't go looking for trouble by making the horrible assumptions of how markets are going to behave and then put in restrictions which are always going to be miscalibrated and are going to be unresponsive to technological advances or to consumer choices. 
you mentioned earlier the FCC and its status as, as an independent agency and the president seeming to lean on them from a first principles perspective for a classical liberal. Uh, what role is appropriate for the FCC? Is this an agency that, that should exist? Should the powers and responsibilities that it have now be pared back? How do you think about the FCC? Well, you know, I want to go back to a very famous set of articles, um, one by Leo Herzl in 1951 and one by Ronald Coase. And what they both said was that when you were talking about broadcast frequencies at the time, what the FCC should do was to make sure that there was no interference between rival bands and then should either give them away or auction them off in some way to private carriers who could treat them like ordinary forms of property. And, you know, that system was eventually introduced when broadband started to take place and it raised huge amount of revenues for the government and it facilitated a lot of the improvements that we get with 4G and other kinds of technologies. In general, that's the view that I take with respect to the FCC. What it's supposed to do is to police property rights and not determine the content. Uh, this is, in fact, a very profound debate. Back in 1943, when this issue came before Felix Frankfurter in the United States Supreme Court, he said grandiosely, oh, the function of the FCC is not only to determine the rules of the road, but the composition of the traffic. And Hayek at the same time said, you know, the great advantage of a public road system is you put the signs out there and the traffic determines its own competition or its composition. And it turns out Frankfurter was wrong and Hayek on that point was correct. And that should still be the model today. What we want to do is to make sure that the frequency uses are compatible and then with respect to certain new frequencies that are now under government control, we want them to organize auctions in a way that will maximize public revenue because that will maximize overall social welfare. What we don't want the government to do is to sort of micromanage the way in which frequencies will be used because it will kill off technological innovation. When Andy Kessler wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal, he reminded me of a story that I actually knew, which is ATT in the 40s. 1940s invents the transistor. But they're a regulated industry and they got a bunch of these old-fashioned switches around and they get cost plus on the switches. So for the next 10 years, they use up all their old switches and it's only in the 50s that this new technology goes into place. Or what happens is the FCC, when it starts to mandate technologies as a condition of licenses, always retards innovation. And the thought that one would want to give them an open-handed delegation and then watch the way in which they work it is, I think, the height of folly. The history of regulation with respect to broadcast, with respect to cell phones and so forth, indicates if you give government the power, it's likely to abuse it. And I've worked as a lawyer on the Light Squared case and their ability to cancel licenses without cause creates an incredible amount of turmoil. This is an agency that should serve as a night watchman and a traffic cop to the extent possible and everything else is essentially misguided. All right. Thank you, Richard. And remember, for our listeners, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting definingideas at hoover.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org. <laughs>